Thank you, Kathy. And let me just echo um, what Kathy said about the reality that we will have elders uh, really over the next almost two months who will be out in the, uh, in the gathering space. So if you have any questions about property, any questions about sabbaticals, there's always questions about sabbaticals. What is a sabbatical? What's the purpose of it? Why don't I get one? All of those that I know uh, will be out there. I encourage you uh, to ask those questions, to express those concerns to elders and to me. Um, we'll be more than glad. We may not give you an answer that you love, but we'll be more than uh, glad to at least give you the answer that we have. And, uh, and certainly, uh, I am thankful for the gift at the session and eventually that, that, that you all will be giving to me and uh, perhaps even um, more importantly to my family. So, so thank you for that. But there is still much work to be done before that time. That is many months away. Um, and so this morning, uh, we, we gathered together on what is probably, uh, without question, my least favorite of all Sundays of the year. Um, I, I hate it when we skip forward an hour because people, especially at the 9 o'clock, are really angry to be here typically. And so, uh, but you all are here, and for that I am thankful. And this morning, we have the added bonus of having our third grade Bible dedication, kind of a rite of passage for us here at ZPC. Mrs. Crispin has been uh, working on that for many years now, and so it is a great blessing. It's especially a blessing for me at 1030. Uh, we'll have um, my own third grader, Adelie, uh, who will also be uh, receiving her Bible. So it is a significant day here in the life of the church. And we're going to continue then in our series of the Gospel of John. Come and see. And we're going to be looking at John chapter 6, uh, verses 16 through 21. So I invite you to hear these words from John. John says this, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. And the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus coming on the sea, or walking on the sea, and coming near the boat, and they were terrified. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the land toward which they were going. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, though we are up an hour earlier perhaps than we would desire, we are at least welcomed on this day with the beauty of your sunshine, with the sound of the birds in the background, and with an incredible opportunity to celebrate our children, our covenant children. And so we pray on this day, Lord, that you would help us to plant ourselves back in the time of the storm. For though it was so long ago, what we also know is that storms have not ceased over these last two millennia. They continue to ravage, and so we continue to be in great need of you. And I pray, Lord, this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. And amen. So as I read that passage of this particular story, you may have noticed that actually this passage is a little bit different than what the other gospel writers, uh, how they describe this particular 
scene. Uh, there's much uh, fewer, far fewer details than what we sometimes see. There's no mention uh, of, of Peter walking on water as well during the middle of the storm, which is kind of unfortunate because, as you know, that's kind of sermon gold right there. You can do a lot of things with Peter trying to walk out to meet Jesus. And I, I was really disappointed because, quite frankly, you know, when you have a bunch of third graders in here like you do, it would have been a great time to have talked about that because third graders, uh, just like any child, they love that story. At least I can remember hearing that story and thinking, oh, how great. Let's kind of imagine what it would be like if we could actually walk on water. But there's none of that here. In fact, it's so different that there are some who question whether or not this is even the same story. Maybe John is telling us a wholly different story than what the other Gospels did. One way or the other, this morning we're going to allow this story to kind of stand on its own. So let's do our best to not bring in Peter or anything else and let's just look at this particular story of John. Now, if you were here last week, you remember what comes right before this, which is that Jesus had just gotten done feeding the 5,000. And after that, the crowds wanted to force Jesus to become king. And so he went off and he hid on the mountainside. And one of the questions that I had last week that others typically have is, what are the disciples doing right then? Where are the disciples? John doesn't tell us in the first part of the passage, but here we realize that the disciples have basically been left behind. It's a bit humorous if you think about it, really, because... I mean, there they are, all of a sudden Jesus is gone, and you can just picture them kind of looking at each other, looking at the crowds, and then just being like, well, guys, the show's over. We don't know what to do, uh, so, so go home. Uh, and, and, and then maybe you know, looking at where Jesus was and just saying, well, Jesus, we'll, we'll catch up to you. Don't worry about us. We'll be fine, right? I mean, what do you do? What a strange scene when all of a sudden he's just gone and they're left there. We don't know how long they waited, but it seems at some point they realized it was getting darker and they needed to go. Because you don't want to be out on the sea, if at all possible, when it's dark, especially not the Sea of Galilee where winds and waves and storms are a frequent occurrence. And so perhaps they take one last look behind them at the mountainside and then they push off. They're rowing, we're told, about three or four miles, certainly no small feat when the winds and the waves begin to pick up. The storm is there, and they're doing their best to row in the dark. Can you picture what that would be like when all you see around you is nothing but wind or feeling the wind and the waves coming upon you? And as they're doing so, as they're rowing and they're rowing, they look off and they think they see something. Now, my guess is that they may have been wondering whether they were really seeing anything or not. Is that real? I mean, all of us know that storms of whatever type they may be always have a way of playing tricks on our eyes. Things that we think we see but may not be there. Things that are actually right there but we simply cannot see them. In the midst of a storm, you so often end up focusing so much on just how do I survive that you rarely can think about almost anything else. But finally, this 
thing got close enough to them that they realized that it was real. They didn't know what it was, but they realized it was real, and they were terrified. Clearly, Jesus understood just how terrified they were because he says to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Now, you may already realize that that's not literally what Jesus said. It is what our translation says, but English can't do a good job of translating this because it sounds weird in English. What he literally says is, I am, don't be afraid. I am, don't be afraid. Remember that. We're going to come back to it. Well, clearly that was helpful for the disciples because once they heard that, what did they do? They invite Jesus into the boat. How nice of them. Uh, uh, and, and so, but, but right as, as that happens, we're told they've reached their destination. It's hard to know whether or not this is another miracle and all of a sudden they were ushered into the place, onto the shore where they had been going, or perhaps the reality is they had just been rowing for so long and it took Jesus so long to get to them that by the time he finally got there, they were actually already to their destination. One way or the other, what we know for sure is this. I am was with them and all was well. As I was thinking about this passage, it seemed to me wholly appropriate that this was the same day when we were going to be talking about the third grade Bible dedication. You see, one of the things that's really great about learning about Scripture, about learning about the Bible, is that the more that you know its stories, the more as you're reading one particular passage, you can begin to see how there's a common thread in another passage, maybe in the same book, or maybe in another book, or maybe in a whole another testament. And it helps the story that you're reading to become even more alive. Let me give you an example. The beginning of John here, we didn't talk about this last week, but it says that the time was near Passover. And if you know anything about Passover, as soon as you hear that, you're reminded of when the Israelites were enslaved. And you're reminded of the fact that the Passover is this great celebration of the fact that they were freed from slavery. You're reminded that the, that the Passover is this great celebration of the fact that, 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 that God had not forgotten them. And so that when, when John says it was near Passover, he's not just saying, so kind of look in your calendar so that you know when that was. No, no, no. What he's saying is when you think about Jesus, you might want to start thinking about the fact that perhaps as John builds his case, he is the one who was going to free you from some sort of slavery. That, that, that he is the one who is there to remind you that you have not been forgotten. And, and then as you kind of continue to think about that, you think about Passover, you think about what happened after that. They, they, they had the exodus. And then, of course, you think about the fact that there was a time when they were all hungry, when the Israelites were hungry. You remember that maybe if you know that story? And all of a sudden, what did God do? God provided food, right? He provided manna from heaven. And, and, and when does John tell us this thing about Passover? Right before Jesus miraculously in the wilderness feeds the 5,000. And you mean to say, wow, isn't that interesting? And then if you keep thinking about the Exodus, just bear with me for a moment, all of a sudden you remember that Moses led the people through the Red Sea and that John tells us this right before Jesus walks on the water. 
And all of a sudden we think, wow, look at this. These things are starting to connect. And then maybe if you know the Psalms very well, you think, what about Psalm 77? Here's what Psalm 77 says. It says, the water saw you, O God. The water saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters. Though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. My point is that the more that you begin to understand the stories in the Bible. And it starts best if you begin in the third grade when you can actually remember things. Those things will not leave you. Right? Because the older you get, the harder it is to remember what happened yesterday. But you can remember what you learned in third grade. And the more those stories that you remember, the more that the scripture that you're reading in John or wherever else, all of a sudden it just begins to become more and more alive. But on this day of third grade Bible dedication, I also want to be very clear that one of the struggles that we have in the West is that we have this sense that the Bible is just knowledge that we have to put in our heads. In fact, many of us will say, okay, I just, I, 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 this is on a to-do list. I just want to get through it. Nothing wrong with reading the whole Bible by any stretch. Right? There are worse things to do. But the problem comes when you begin to just kind of fly through it and you aren't actually taking the time to stop and to reflect on it, or to use more scriptural language, to meditate on it. That's something that I wasn't necessarily taught that much as a child. What does it mean to to meditate on it? You may remember what Eugene Peterson says. He says that the word meditate in the Hebrew is more like chewing or gnawing on something. And so he brings up the fact that it's a bit like your dog when it begins to gnaw on a bone, right? And you remember, maybe you have a dog or you had a dog and the dogs, I mean, it's just disgusting the way they just gnaw and it gets slobbery and gross, but there, and you can just hear that, right? And their excitement, I won't keep going, but you can just hear that excitement and they can lack, they can gnaw on a bone for days or weeks even, right? It's just so good. And they want to get to every good morsel of it. And Peterson said, this is what meditating on scripture does. It is like you just see that one little passage typically, and you just chew and gnaw on it so that you can get to every part of it. Right, I thought about that because N.T. Wright says that this passage, especially the part about the storm and Jesus walking out to the disciples, he says, this is the perfect passage to meditate on. Because almost all of us, let's be honest, all of us know what it's like to be in a storm of some sort. It may not always be a a storm on the seas, but all of us know what it's like to be in the middle of of a storm. And one of the most horrible things about storms, it seems to me, as the disciples knew all too well, is that you cannot control them. You simply cannot. It may be a bad medical diagnosis. It may be a coronavirus that seems to just be flying around and you can hear about it everywhere that you go. It may be a culture that oftentimes seems absolutely determined to destroy itself. It may be a relationship that is broken and you can do nothing about it. It may be a job that is lost. It may be a stock market that seems to be flailing all around. And I'm fairly convinced 
that what is as difficult, of the, 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 perhaps equally as difficult as just the thing in itself is the reality that you cannot, as much as you may want, you cannot control it. And we like to feel like we are in control, do we not? I better get an amen out of that or we are in trouble. And so a storm is this struggle because not only because of the thing, but because we just keep rowing and we keep rowing. This is how you row. And you keep rowing and you cannot control the winds and the waves. And what I believe is that so often what happens is that we get so caught up and so fixated on trying to stop the storm, on trying to cease the wind and the waves, that we miss out on multiple opportunities to actually ask the question in the middle of the storm, as difficult as it may be, what can we learn? What can I learn in the middle of this storm? What can it reveal to me about myself. Because the thing about winds and waves is that they rip off the facades and the masks that we have spent so much time trying to put up. And they will reveal like nothing else what we value, what we prioritize, what or who is our God. As you think about your own life, one of the questions is, when have you seen the most growth? And I would venture to say, it is not by the babbling brook of your life. It is in the midst of the wind and the waves and the storms. But for those who have the eyes to see, it is also in those moments when we can begin to discover Jesus in new and fresh ways. Remember, there he was, Jesus walking up to them. There they are. They are terrified. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says this, I am. You probably know this already, but it's the same. Stan Johnson helped me to see this. It's the same word, of course, that's that's said to Moses in the fiery bush when he says, who are you? And God says, I am. Am. Or do you remember in the fourth chapter of John when the, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well and she brings up the Messiah? Do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, I am. In other words, what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, it is me. God is with you. And one of the things I love about that is that Jesus does not belittle the storm. Jesus doesn't say to them, oh, <laughs> Tis but a sea breeze. This is nothing. You call these waves. I surf these things. He doesn't say that. He doesn't look at you and say, oh, come on. This divorce, it's not that big of a deal. He doesn't look at you and say, oh, that wayward child. Stop your crying over that. He doesn't look at you and say, oh, so you lost a job. What's the big deal? He doesn't belittle it at all. Nor, in John's version at least, does he seem to just completely take the storm away. Far too many Christians think, and there are those who teach, that if you follow Jesus, you will have no storms. But here it seems to me the disciples were taken straight into the heart of it. Jesus could have told them, hey, before you launch off, Why don't you walk around the sea? 
No, he allows them to go. But where do they see him in the middle of it? I love what Tim Keller says, which is that Jesus never promises to minimize the storm, but he does say he will maximize himself. But we have to be able to see and to hear him in the middle of that storm. But I am convinced if we do so, it makes all the difference. See, I was thinking about that, and I was remembering of a story I think I tell uh, every couple of years here. It's one of my favorite stories about my father. And, and you guys know that I keep saying my father's a tightwad, and he, he was and he is. And so, so we always remember we had the 10 cockroach rule when it came to the hotel, which is that if dad walked into a hotel and there weren't at least 10 cockroaches, he knew that he had paid too much. And, and so my, 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 my father loved a hotel that had a flickering sign, you know, the bug zapper over in the side, the kind that, where, the, where the bed sheets were so threadbare and, and, and the thread count was so low that every time you, you rolled over, you got rug burn, that kind of hotel. Hotel. Dad loved that. He was in his sweet spot when he had a hotel like that. Meanwhile, as a kid, right, it was always absolutely terrifying, right? I mean, this was so scary. But there was nothing scarier than in the middle of the night when I would wake up. And I would wake up and I was absolutely terrified. I mean, when you're a kid, even when you're an adult, waking up in the middle of the night oftentimes is scary. But when you're in a foreign place, when you can't smell anything outside the kind of mildewy comforter that you had still pulled all the way up because that's what keeps monsters away, right? When you can't, uh, when you can't hear anything because it, that, 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 uh, the, the air conditioner is so obnoxiously loud, it's a bit like a, a 747 is taking off inside of your room all of the time. When you can't see anything because those curtains are so dark. I can remember it. Perhaps you can remember a time like that, like it was yesterday. It was so terrifying. What I knew is that if I could tell that my father was still there, then everything would be okay. But I couldn't see him. I couldn't touch him because I dare not touch the carpet in between our beds because I knew that that was where sea monsters were. And so I would lay down and I would just wait until finally the moment when the air conditioner kicked off and I would desperately listen for my father's breath. And as soon as I heard him breathe, everything changed. Oh, it was still loud. It was still stinky. It was still dark. There was still fear all around, but yet everything in my mind changed. All of a sudden, I could be at peace in the midst of all of those things because I knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that my father was right there with me. And when the disciples heard and saw Jesus, all of a sudden, 
everything changed. The storm may still have been there, but there was no fear that they had because they knew that I am was with them. And in this time in the culture of our lives, if there is one thing I know, it is that anxiety and fear is so rampant. And what that tells me is that we have an incredible opportunity. We have an opportunity to be a witness to the I am, to a society that seems to almost be losing their minds out of fear and anxiety and doing everything that they can to try to control what is uncontrollable. And we, as followers of I am, have a question, which is whether or not we are going to live a different life in the midst of that. Now, hear me. That doesn't mean that we belittle others' fears or anxiety by no stretch. Nor does it mean that we act as if storms aren't real. Nor does it mean that we don't prepare for them and that we aren't smart about those things. Absolutely. But it does mean that in the midst of all of that, that there is something unique about us. There is a peace which we have because of the fact that we can continue to see Jesus in the middle of those storms. Let me be clear as I finish up, though, one last thing which is that you cannot mentally try to stronghold oneself into seeing Jesus in the middle of a storm. It takes an enormous amount of cultivation. It takes spiritual practices. The main one, the most important one, being reading Scripture, meditating on Scripture, I love the fact that this is a rite of passage that we do here because we have an opportunity both to teach our third graders and to be reminded ourselves of this reality that we will not wake up one day in a storm and just be able to see Jesus. We need to be preparing for that each and every day. You see, one of the things that happens is that the more that you soak in Scripture passages, the more that you say, oh, I am hungry emotionally, physically, or spiritually, the more likely you are to remember the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and how he met them in the midst of their hunger. The more that you begin to soak in Scripture, the more you chew on it and gnaw on it on those, at those times when you are in the storm of shame or brokenness, you can remember that Jesus met the woman at the well in the midst of her shame and brokenness, even if she didn't want to talk to him, that Jesus was going to meet her there anyways. The more that you soak on the scripture, the more likely you are, of course, in the middle of the storm to remember this story today of how Jesus met them right there, how the I am is with you if we have the eyes to see. But it will not just happen. We have to read it. We have to chew on it. We have to gnaw on it until it begins to soak deep into our tendons, into our sinews, into our muscles, into our bones, into every part of us so that when the winds and the waves start coming, we will be a people of 
peace. So that when everyone else is running around full of anxieties and fears, we can be fully aware of those things. And yet at the same time, we can point to I So my hope and my prayer, sisters and brothers in Christ, is that we would continue to chew on Scripture bit by bit, morsel by morsel. So that in doing, we will be able to hear in the midst of the greatest storm, the breath and the Spirit of God. Do you hear? I am. Let us pray. God, we are not called to ignore the realities of the world or to live as if all is bliss. No, Lord, we're called to go in the very midst of those places where those things are not true. Those are being buffeted by winds and waves. We are called, Lord, in the midst of that to be able to see, to hear your breath, and to know that you are with us. So we pray, God, even now, that you would help us to be a people who know that is the case. But a people, Lord, who also know that the only way for us to be able to see that is when we continually chew on your scripture, on the stories of where you again and again have been found in the midst of those who are struggling and in great need of you. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen.